0: Satan, our enemy Satan, has a ministry of ruination. Now, what that means is this. He takes what is good, he takes what is pure, he takes what is right, and he pollutes it. He distorts it. He really takes it, and his goal is to ultimately see it destroyed, and that is, that is the ministry of Satan. He takes what God has said is good, and he pollutes it. He changes it. He it absolutely seeks for its ruin. And that has been his business ever since the garden. Today, you wanna know where Satan is working. People talk about that all the time. You wanna know where Satan is working. You look to what God has called good and you see where Satan has corrupted. Now, let me give you some examples this morning. Take, a, take for example, God's word. God's word is the truth. In a world where we can't nail down the truth, God's word is truth. It is trustworthy. God's word is absolutely holy, yet Satan leads us to dismiss it. He leads us to neglect it. He even leads us to doubt the word of God. Can you imagine that? Doubting the word of God. Well, that has been his plan ever since the garden. Man himself... Man himself is the pinnacle of God's created effort. We are made in the image of God. The highest value is given to that of mankind, yet take what Satan does. He he leads us to devalue life. He leads us to say, well, it's just a bunch of cells. It's a clump of cells that have randomly produced, And, and Satan teaches us to devalue life. More than that, he leads us to degrade human life. And the situations we find ourselves in today, he, he takes the value from the life that God has created. This morning, I want you to think about Christmas. Think about this morning the awesomeness of the event of Christmas. Think about the magnificence of the coming of a Savior who is the promised Messiah of God, Now, I want you to think about that this morning. That, that's what the event of Christmas is. It is God himself coming as the Messiah, the, the Savior, to save mankind. Think about how profound. Think about how beautiful each intricate piece of this event is, how, how this thing had to be there and how this thing absolutely mattered. Think how, how beautiful each piece of that event is. And somehow Satan has reduced it to people fighting and pushing to buy things after Thanksgiving. Somehow Satan has reduced it to a a mindless flurry of of meaningless words and activities. Think about our Christmas month. We have this and this and this and the the commercials, they say this and this and the songs all say this and it's become a, a season that we're absolutely numb to the true meaning of of the event. Let me tell you this this morning. I believe Satan loves that the hero of Christmas is Santa Claus rather than Jesus Christ. I believe that. Again, he has the ministry of ruination, taking what is mind-blowing and making it absolutely numb. This year, my goal has been to put our eyesight really on the glory of Christmas, and that is our Savior, Jesus Christ. My my goal in these few weeks, my prayer, is that we would go to God's Word and we would see our Savior, Jesus. We We would catch a glimpse of our Savior, Jesus, the Savior of Christmas. Now, as I said last week, It is a weird thing that we're going to do this in the book of Micah, a book written 725 years before the birth of Jesus. But nevertheless, my my goal is that we would see the glory of Christmas as we see our Savior, Jesus Christ. This week, our message is entitled, The Glory of Christmas. Just that, the glory of Christmas. We're going to be in Micah chapter 5. Verses three and four. Micah chapter five, verses three and four. The glory of Christmas. I'm gonna ask if you would, if you'd stand with me in the reverence and honor of the reading of God's word. Micah chapter five, beginning here in the third verse, it says this. Therefore, he will give them up until the time when she who is in labor has born a child. Then the remainder of his brethren will return to the sons of Israel. And he will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. In the majesty of the name of the Lord is God. And they will remain. Because at that time, he will be great to the ends of the earth. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father, we come today and I am thankful for you. Lord, I'm thankful for your, for your grace and your kindness. I'm thankful for your justice. I'm thankful for your holiness. Lord, I, I'm thankful that you're a God that judges and, and, and has a judgment for sin, but I'm also thankful for a God of grace that provides a savior for that same sin. Lord, I come tonight today as we, as we read these verses, as we move through these verses, I pray that we would see you, and I pray that supernaturally that you would speak to us And I pray that the clutter of the garbage and the numbness of these days in our world will be lifted and we would see the true glory of Christmas, the glory of our Savior, Jesus. And so I pray in the next few minutes again that you would speak, that you would unfold yourself through your word, the preaching of your word, and we would be changed. Lord, I pray for some in this very room that do not have a relationship with Christ, with you. I pray that in this event, in this day, that they would be so so changed in the hearing of the gospel, so, so convicted over their sin that, that has ruined them, so enamored by a Savior that has, has, has sent his only begotten Son that we would, would be saved. Lord, I pray that that would change their hearts. Lord, I pray that today would be the day of their salvation and that it would be for your glory as well. I pray for us here as believers, again, that we're renewed, that we're strengthened, that we're encouraged. Lord, we ask that you speak, and I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. If our goal this Christmas is to see the glory of our Savior Jesus, really, as I think about this, we really need to review our verses from last week. Let me just tell you, all week long, I was blown away by the truth of our one verse last week. Uh, All week long, sometimes at night, I would replay the profoundness of our verse from last week. And so really, if our, if our goal today is to, to see the glory of Christmas, to see the glory of our Savior of Christmas, we need to go back and, and very quickly revisit that verse. Let me read verse 2 again. But as for you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth for me, to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Last week, if you remember, our message was on the one from Bethlehem. And that is the focus of that second verse. The one, Jesus, the one from Bethlehem. And we saw how all of these things, and really all of these crazy things, tie into our Savior being born there in the city of Bethlehem. And we we saw it was really no small thing that he was born there in Bethlehem. We saw that the one from Bethlehem is the promised Messiah. And we saw how he had to be and how he is the seed of a woman, the one that would crush the serpent's head, the first glimmer of hope that we see in Genesis Chapter three, We see that he had to be the seed of Abraham, the one that God had made his covenant with. We see that he is the the hope of nations, the one, and let me just tell you, the only one by which all the nations will be blessed. Sometimes we think, well, it may be different somewhere else. Listen, Jesus is the only way. He is the only one by which any nation will be blessed. We see that he is from the tribe of Judah. And, and he had to be from that tribe that he would have the authority to rule. And that's from Genesis chapter 49. Well, he is from the tribe of Judah and that's tied into his being born there in Bethlehem. We see that he is a descendant of David. And so not only does he have the authority to rule being from the tribe of Judah, he also has the position to rule. He's in the lineage of the king. He has David's throne. It says the throne of his father David. And so he not only has the authority to rule, he has the position to rule. And both of those things are tied into his being born in Bethlehem. We see that he is the promised one. It says from ancient days. From ancient days, he is the promised Messiah from God. We also saw he is the eternal one. From the very beginning, not just the the promise of God, but also the plan of God. He is the eternal one. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Jesus is the eternal one. And all of these things are wrapped up in the one of whom the angels proclaimed today in the city of David, Bethlehem. There has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, I I run through that and I just think, wow, how smart is that? How smart is that? How profound is that? How deep is that? All of those things had to be present in the Messiah. All of those things were markers pointing to the Messiah. All of those things were tied to our Savior, Jesus, the one of Bethlehem. That's, that's absolutely staggering. Well today I believe is going to be just as staggering. <clears throat> Last week where we see how he starts, really all of those things, where we see how he starts, today we're going to see how he will finish. where we saw how he starts and how all of those things had to be present. today we're going to see how it is he will finish and we're going to see how these things, are connected. Now, let me just warn you. Today's going to be pretty heavy, and so if you're going to take a nap, I'd wait till you got home and do it after lunch. <laughs> Hopefully, my voice won't lead you to go to sleep today. Today's going to be pretty heavy. I want you to follow with me, and we're going to see really what I believe is a staggering picture of these verses and our Savior of these verses. Remember the context here. The book of Micah is a collection of 20 sermons sent by God. This is the word of God, sent by God and preached, proclaimed through the prophet Micah. So, what is the book of Micah? It is these 20 messages given by God, the word of God, proclaimed through the prophet Micah. Now, if you remember, these sermons are telling the nation of their sin. These are very hard sermons. These are very pointed sermons. He is preaching to them about their sin. Now listen, we live in an age where nobody wants to talk about sin, where nobody will preach on sin. Well, listen, the book of Micah is preaching to the nation of their sin, of their rebellion. And so he is preaching on sin. Then he tells them of God's coming judgment of that sin. You see, here's the truth. God judges sin. There are consequences for sin and and they are going to be turned over to a pagan nation, the Babylonians. They're going to be taken captive and they're going to suffer terribly and it will be because of their rebellion. It will be God's judgment of their sin. And so he tells them of their sin. He tells them of God's coming judgment of that sin. Then in the last two chapters, he calls them really to repent from that sin. Now I think that's a pretty awesome thing. God really never tells us about sin that he doesn't call us to, you know what, to turn and leave that sin. We always have the potential to, to turn and to walk away and in the power of God, leave, repent of that sin. And so the last two chapters, he's telling the nation, you know what, turn around, come back, repent of that sin. And then here's what's awesome. In the midst of all of that, God tells Micah, and through Micah, he tells his people of the promise of the Messiah, of the promise of a deliverer, of the promise of a savior, the one from Bethlehem. And that is these verses that we're looking at here in chapter five. Let me ask you, how how crazy is that? How, How cool is that? Addressing sin, the sin that he hates, the sin that he judges, the sin that has ruined and shamed his creation, in the midst of that, he can't help but reveal his grace and tell them of a savior that's coming. Isn't isn't that pretty awesome? You know, he's gonna tell them about sin. He's gonna tell them he can't stand their sin. He's gonna tell them there's a judgment for sin. He's gonna call them to repent of that sin, but he can't help himself. And in the midst of that, he reveals his grace. There is coming a savior for sin. That's where we're at today. And so we'll move forward from there. Let's start here in verse three. Verse three says this. Therefore, he will give them up until the time when she who is in labor has born a child. Then the remainder of his brethren will return to the sons of Israel. Now again, stay with me. This is pretty deep. Here in verse 3, God is able to do something really because he's God. And that's what we're going to see here in verse 3. He he is all-knowing. He is eternal. He is sovereign. He's in control. And so here in verse 3, God's going to do something that only God can do. God's going to do something that really is tied to the fact that he is God. In verse 3, he is speaking in the prophetic which means this, he is telling of what is to come. That's what's going on here in verse three. In verse three, he is speaking prophetically and he is telling of what is coming. Now listen to this. He's telling of what is coming in the near future. In fact, for us today, it's already taken place. But at the same time, he's telling what is gonna happen in the distant future, now what, what that means, as he talks, the same words are telling of two future events. And both of those are correct and both of those are trustworthy. Now listen to that. With the same words here in verse three, with the exact same words, he's telling of two future events and both of those events are trustworthy. Now if you think the Bible's boring, just think about that for a little bit. He's talking and as he's talking, he's talking into two different contexts and both of those contexts are correct and both of those contexts are true. Now, if you think that's, if that's boring, then something's messed up with you. That's, that's amazing. Verse three, the same words tells us of two future events. Again, now think about this. For, for us, one of them has come and passed and is verifiable. That is the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem and one of them is yet to come. And so 725 years before the birth of Christ, through Micah, God is speaking. He's telling of two events. One of them is the birth of Christ that would happen 725 years later, and another is an event yet to come. Now let's look at the verse as we move through it. It starts off, and it says, therefore. Now think about that. Verse two, there will be a Savior, He will be born in Bethlehem. This is God's great promise. This is God's great hope. Hope is coming. There is gonna be a Messiah. And that is is the point of verse two. The Messiah is coming. Your hope is coming. Therefore, it literally translates nevertheless. Your hope is coming. The Messiah is coming. Nevertheless, he will give them up until a time when she who is in labor has born a child. Now what that means is this. In the near future, he tells them the Messiah is coming, but nevertheless, until he comes, he is giving them up, he is giving them over until then. Because of their sin, because of their rebellion, in contempt and in judgment of that sin, they're gonna face the judgment of sin. That's what that's what he's saying here. You know what? There's a Savior coming, the Messiah is coming, but nevertheless, in judgment of that sin, judgment is coming. He's been telling them that that, that they're gonna be hauled off, that they're gonna suffer, that there's gonna be persecution at the hands of these oppressors from a different nation. He tells them a Messiah is coming. Nevertheless, in the meantime, until he comes... Judgment is coming. Now guess what happens? Exactly as he tells them, 140 years later, King Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king, takes the city of Jerusalem. In fact, he lays waste to the city of Jerusalem. He, he kills and he slaughters many of the people. In fact, most Of the people. He takes a remnant, he takes some of them captive, and he takes them back to Babylon where they live as exiles. That's exactly what happens 140 years after Micah says this. I found this interesting. Early Bible scholars rejected that Micah was the author of this book, saying that it was so exact. Someone had to write it after the fact. As people started to study the Bible and they, they were putting this together, piecing it together, early Bible scholars that could go and you could read what they said, they said, you know what, no way was Micah the author of the book because it's so exact, somebody had to write it after the fact. They actually said, no man, no human author could have predicted this event so exactly. Friends, they were right. These are the words of God himself, telling of sin, warning of judgment of sin, and praise God, telling of the coming of our Messiah, Jesus Christ. Not the words of a man, the words of God himself. My voice worked, I'd get loud right there. Let me point something out here in these verses before we move on. I think it's pretty interesting, something for us to, to hold on to today. Let me, let me point out something here in these verses, and that is this. Folks, understand, God is serious about sin. Understand, God hates sin. He hates sin. We, we, we make it light. We excuse it. We try to explain it. We try to make ourselves comfortable in it, but the the truth is listen, God hates sin. He hates sin. Well, what about a little bit? No, He hates sin. God judges sin. Now, we are afraid to paint that picture of God. He judges sin. Do you know that? God judges sin. I think we're afraid to to put that on Christian radio. You're not gonna hear Lauren Daigle or anybody saying, God judges sin. He can't stand it. It boils his blood. He can't stand it. He's gonna judge sin. Listen, that's what the cross was about. What is the cross about? The cross is God's judgment of sin. He pours out his righteous wrath, but not on us, on his only begotten son, Jesus. That's what the cross is about. He judges sin. But see this, even promising them a hope, even promising them a savior, they still go through these terrible, terrible times of suffering. You see that? Now I say all that to just make this point this morning. If he is so merciful, why not lift it off of him? If if he is grace-giving, why not keep them from that? 140 years later, they're all gonna be slaughtered in their town. Their town's gonna be disgraced. Those that live are gonna be hauled off into captivity. If he is such a graceful God, why not keep them from it? If you're gonna deliver them, deliver them now. Why allow them to suffer? That's the question, isn't it? Why allow them to suffer? Here's the deal. I want you to hear this this morning. God is more concerned with their hearts. Their hearts that would be broken over sin. Their hearts that would be repentant over their sin. Oh, I wish I'd never gone there. Oh, I wish I'd never done that. Oh, in the power of God, I want to I turn and leave that sin. Their hearts that would be purified and holy in the process. They're hearts that would long for a savior. Oh, if God doesn't act, I have no hope. Oh, God, that you would act. God, I only have one answer and the answer's in you. These are hearts that were longing for a savior. If there is no Messiah, if there is no savior, we're doomed. God is more concerned with their hearts than he is their comfort. I want to tell you, that's a pretty big thing today. That's a, pretty, that's a pretty huge thing for us to understand. You see, today some people will suffer. I'll just tell you, in fact, this morning, there's some people that are suffering right now. And sadly, we're being taught today in a, in a weak version of Christianity, or probably a non-version of Christianity, that when something gets uncomfortable, when something gets hard, we, we ought to question God. What's, what's God up to? And we start to wonder about the power of God and the mercy of God. Friends, I want you to understand this today. He's still more concerned with our hearts than he is with our comfort. Pretty awesome thing, isn't he? You know what, God God will take some hard things and he'll make you look at him. He'll take some hard, hard things that you're gonna say, oh, I have to have a savior. I have no hope. And he'll have you cry out for him. He'll take some hard things and he'll make you sick of the sins of the past. Oh, I hate those sins. He'll take some hard times and he'll drive you to your knees and you'll be repentant and say, oh, Lord, help me to turn, help me to turn. He's still more worried about our hearts than he is our comfort. Praise God, what an awesome, gracious God he is. So we see here in verse three this prophetic announcement. And then we see from our view, it's answer. There's going to be born for you in this city. There's going to be a savior. He's, he's going he's to be all the fulfillment of all these things. And then from our point of view, it was, 100, it was 725 years later for them. But from our point of view, we see it is the birth of Jesus Christ. And so we see this prophetic announcement and then we see its fulfillment in the birth of Jesus Christ. Now, that's a sure thing. They said it would happen, it happened. It was foretold it would happen, it happened, the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem. But remember, there are two things that it is foretelling. One was the Messiah's birth in Bethlehem, and we can look back and see where that happened. One was the Messiah's birth in Bethlehem. Listen to this. The second is the Messiah's second coming. Follow with me here. First, they turn on God. They rebel against God. And so he gives them over to judgment until the Messiah comes. You know what? You're gonna be carried away. You know what? You're gonna suffer this judgment. The Messiah is coming, but there's gonna be this judgment of sin. So the first thing, they rebel against God, they turn against God, and so he gives them over until the Messiah comes. But see this, the second thing. When he came, when the Messiah came, when Jesus came, again they turned on him. Again they rejected him. He was promised, he was told, he fulfilled all the things. He's born there in Bethlehem. And the Bible says this, John says this, he came into his own and his own received him not. Do you see what happened? They rebelled against God and so until the Messiah came, he let them have some judgment. Well, the Messiah has come and they turned on him. They rebelled against him and so for the Jews, he turns them over until he comes again. Now listen very carefully. This is talking about our age today. This is talking about the attack and the tearing down of the temple in A.D. 70. This is talking about the Jews and how they're hated and persecuted by Gentiles all around the world. This is talking about the Holocaust. Yes, even the Holocaust, and their near decimation at the hands of Hitler and the Nazis. This is talking about them today being hated by all the neighbors that are are around them. Even this morning, all the neighbors around them hate them. This is talking about the growing movement in our country today to abandon them, to turn against them. Again, see this. The Messiah's return is promised, but until then, they are given over in judgment. Now, how do we know all that? That's a pretty crazy thing to say. How do we know all that? Let's look at verse four. And he, the Messiah, the one of Bethlehem, Jesus, And he will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will remain because at that time he will be great to the ends of the earth. It says, and he, I'm gonna walk you through this. And he, the Messiah, the one that was born there, Jesus. He, the Messiah, and he It says, will arise. In Hebrew, it means stand up erect for everybody to see. And He, the Messiah, He will stand up and He will stand erect for everybody to see and shepherd His flock. The good shepherd will shepherd His flock. That means He's gonna feed His flock, He's gonna lead His flock, He's gonna protect His flock the good shepherd. He's going to stand up. He's going to be seen by everybody and he's going to shepherd his flock. It says in the strength of the Lord. It means in the power of God. This shepherd, the good shepherd, the one of Bethlehem, he's going to stand up and he's going to shepherd his flock in the power of God, not in the power of a man. Listen. All of the men who tried to shepherd, they had turned, they had gone their own way. The the Bible cries out, oh, the shepherds that they had had taken up and gone a different direction. This shepherd, he's going to shepherd them in the power of God, the strength of the Lord. Then it says this, in the majesty, in the Hebrew, in the original language, it is the overriding authority and power. Majesty. What is majesty? It is overriding authority and power. In the majesty of the name, that's the fullness of who God is. The name of God is really everything that God is, the the fullness of who God is. In the majesty of the name of the Lord, his God. It's now talking here about the Trinity a trinitarian reign a, a trinitarian power and so in the majesty of the fullness of who God is in the name of the Lord his God and it says of his flock they will remain it means they will be secured they will live securely the remnant will be shepherded by the good shepherd now here's the difference stay with me it's going to be important Bible says, because at that time, when that happens, when the good shepherd stands up, when he shepherds his people in the strength of the Lord, to the majesty of the name of the Lord, when that happens, because at that time, he will be great. That means he will be known, he will be revered. That's important. He will be revered, he will be heralded as great to the ends of the earth. Folks, as I studied across that, that's what marked this for me. That's that's what really shows us when this is. Listen very carefully. It is not now. It has not happened yet. Because today, listen, the good shepherd is still mocked. The good shepherd is ridiculed. The good shepherd today, he is counted as superstition, as a a fable, as ignorance. The good shepherd today, as kind as he is, as gracious as he is, he is still rejected today by his own people. This is not talking about that day. Oh, but listen to me, listen very carefully. There is coming a day when just as sure as was the day in Bethlehem, Just as sure as was the day when the seed of a woman and the seed of Abraham and the hope of nations from the tribe of Judah and the son of David, the promised Messiah, the eternal one, when he took on flesh and was born of a woman. Just as sure, be sure, listen, there is coming a day when the same Messiah, the same Christ, the same savior, the same hope. Listen, just as sure as that day, there's gonna be a day when he steps out. But this time, it's not gonna be in humility, but it's gonna be in the fullness of glory. This time, there's not gonna be submission to a cross. Oh no, it's gonna be in salutation as the king of kings and he's gonna step out and just as sure as was the first day, he is coming again. Praise God, he's coming again. And listen to me, friends, that is the glory of Christmas. That is our savior of Christmas. That is why we celebrate still. He came once. We can look back and it was sure, but just as sure, he is coming again. Listen, the baby that was born to save was also the baby that's born to reign. The baby that was born to die on the cross is also the baby that will reign over life eternal. The baby that came in humility is the same baby that comes in greatness. And just as sure as he came once, he's coming again. My new greeting is this. Merry Christmas, he's coming again. Merry Christmas, he's coming again. Merry Christmas, he's coming again. He's coming again. That is the glory of Christmas. Our Savior, Jesus is coming again. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come and I am thankful for your word and I'm thankful for the profoundness of your word. I'm thankful for the clarity of your word to explain such a tremendous gospel that had Jesus not been the seed of a woman, he couldn't save me as a man. But he's the seed of a woman. He's the seed of Abraham. Through him, all nations will be blessed. He's the hope of all nations. There's not a hope for any person, any nation outside of Jesus. He's the son of David. He has a place. He's the the tribe of Judah. He has the authority. He's the son of man, the kinsman redeemer. He's the son of God, able to save. He is promised from the words of ancient days. He's also promised from eternity, the eternal one. And I'm thankful that the the baby of Bethlehem grew up and he lived a life of no sin, that he goes to a cross to pay for my penalty, my redemption. I'm thankful that he came out of the grave, risen, victorious with the payment received. But I am thankful, Lord, that just as sure as that happened in history, there is coming a day, Lord Jesus, when you will come again. We will stand in your presence. And there'll be no more sorrow and no more tears and no more sickness or death for the former things, Lord, will have passed away. And so, Lord, I praise you for the fullness of the glory of Christmas. Lord, I pray for someone here that hasn't received Christ that today would be that day. Lord, I pray they couldn't hear of such a marvelous, miraculous Savior and turn and walk away. Stir in their hearts, remove the barriers. I pray that today will be the day of their salvation. Lord, I pray for us as your people today that we wouldn't become numb to the hugeness of this season, that we wouldn't become numb to the marvelousness of your grace shown through a baby born, the one of Bethlehem. And Lord, I pray that in these days until you come again, that we would be faithful to point to you. We'd be faithful to proclaim you. that all of it will be for your great glory. Lord Jesus, we love you, we worship you, we thank you. It's in your name I pray, amen.